welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Food, gratitude, and the sounds of fireworks. It's not Thanksgiving or Christmas or the 4th of July, but the Bali, a Hindu holiday that marks the beginning of the Lunar New Year. It's celebrated by people of many faiths across South Asia and around the world. Here in the United States, that includes my extended multi-faith family. We celebrate. We exchange gifts, say a few prayers, and share a big family meal. Before it ends, though, we head outside to the driveway where we set off a few fireworks. Earlier in the evening, before the sun goes down, we line the walkways with small lights or votive candles or diyas. And the first time I joined, I asked a lot of questions because I knew close to nothing about its origins. As I learned more, I discovered those lights lined up on the driveway were intended to invite good luck and prosperity in the coming year. I also learned that the origin story, it varies widely across the subcontinent. But one theme emerges. Diwali is a celebration of the triumph of light over darkness. This year, November 4th, marked the beginning of the five-day holiday. And elementary school teachers back in the classroom now have a new illustrated book to share with kids, Vinny's Diwali. Readers meet an elementary school girl who is nervous and excited to share how her family celebrates this holiday. It's not about the origins, but rather how so many South Asian American kids actually celebrate. And it's written by award-winning journalist and adult fiction author Triti Umargar, who borrows from her own childhood growing up in India, celebrating Diwali. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Inspired. And I am looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for hosting me. So tell me, what drew you to writing children's books? It's a very different genre going from adult to a children's kind of board book with with beautiful illustrations. It is. It's a very different genre. And I've always said that in some ways, writing picture books is closest to writing poetry. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's short form writing. You know, a novel can go on for 300, 400, 500 pages. I mean, obviously, you're not going to do that with a picture book. And there's a kind of poetic discipline where the economy of language and words and, you know, every word, every phrase that you choose has to be chosen with care. In those ways, it reminds me very much of poetry. And at a very, very young age, when I first began to sort of, well, perhaps even before I thought of myself as a writer, when I was simply writing as a child, I wrote poems. I wasn't writing novels. I wasn't writing short stories at that time. I was just writing poems. Mm. So in some ways, this does feel different than what my career as an adult fiction writer has been. But in other ways, it feels like a throwback uh, to a much earlier time. And, you know, why do I want to write children's books? Because I really, really love kids. I just feel like they are my most favorite species on <laughs> earth, other than kittens and puppies, you know, but I, sadly, they don't read my books. So there's no point in writing them for kittens and puppies. But, and I feel like, 
you know, I want to, in, in at least in my children's uh, books, I, I want to spread a message of kindness and goodness and generosity and how being kind and being generous feels so wonderful. Um, you know, when, when light triumphs over darkness, which if you think about it, is what Diwali is all about, it makes us feel good as human beings. And what better audience to tell these stories to than to children, right? So other than Benice Diwali last year, uh, just by sheer good luck, I had, I think the very next month, last fall, I had two children's books come out. The other is called Sugar and Milk. And that's the story uh, where I just sort of update the legend that I was told about how my ancestors, who were from Persia, uh, came to India a thousand years ago and basically came as what we would today call political refugees mm. and were let in to India. And once again, it's a story about uh, wit. It's a story about, you know, quick thinking. Uh, but it's also a story about hospitality. It's a story about welcoming the stranger in your midst. Um, and both these books, in some ways, you know, I was not raised Hindu, but the India that I grew up in, the Bombay that I grew up in, was this beautifully secular, um, joyous kind of a place. And we most certainly never felt excluded from the Diwali celebrations. In fact, we were very, very much part of it. Uh, my father used to go out every single Diwali and buy enough fireworks to set off on the streets below, you know, below our apartment building. And he would invite all the neighborhood kids so they could be literally, you know, homeless street urchins who would participate and then there would be the residents of you know middle class residents of the buildings who would come down and we would all like have a beautiful evening together and nobody was thinking in terms of caste or race or religion or any such thing we were all doing this together and setting off these beautiful you know spirals into the sky um and those memories uh meant so much to me and I worry sometimes that perhaps those days of, you know, just being shoulder to shoulder with people who were different from you, but feeling so close to them that you didn't even perhaps really notice the differences. I fear that the spirit of those days might be coming to a close. And I just felt like I wanted to celebrate all of that um, in these two books that I did. Hmm. What era, what decade was that in? So I left India in the early 80s um, at age 21 to come to college um, in, in the United States. So, you know, really, let's just say perhaps from the time I was three or four years old, so that would be the 60s and uh, most of the 70s, um, you know, until I left in the early 80s, so all of the 70s, really, um, you know, we would we would do this. I mean, we would, I remember being six, seven, eight, 12, 14 years old, you know, distributing sweets and getting new clothes. And my father had his own business. He had a factory and we would always have a religious ceremony done for Diwali. Now, 
here's something that may not make too much sense to American listeners. So we were something known as Parsis, a very, very small minority group in India. So the people who would come, the priests who would come to perform the religious ceremony for Diwali in our factory would be Parsi priests. Mm. We didn't have a Hindu uh, religious ceremony. We wouldn't have known how to do that. But everything else, we just adopted the exchanging of gifts, the sweets that were distributed to you know all the other people in this area where the factory was, certainly the workers, you know, all of that. Um, then bringing some sweets home to distribute uh, to neighbors in our building. Um, all of those were Hindu traditions from Diwali. But you see how seamlessly, and honestly, it didn't occur to me how odd this was, that the actual ceremony was not a Hindu ceremony, but it was it was to celebrate a Hindu festival. You know, it's almost this like syncretic kind of quality that you're describing, a blending. And India is and and has been uh, a place where people from so many different traditions and even I think the misnomer for a lot of people is when they think, oh, is it Indian? And when you really dig into it, you can speak to this is just the different languages, the different cultural right. traditions, even within Hinduism, the significance of certain deities and the mythology that is very sacred to some is less pronounced in other parts of the country. And that was part of my own learning when I married into a family that's Indian and discovering kind of my own bias or notions is predisposed to a North Indian perspective and learning, well, wait a minute, that's not really reflective of other parts of the country. As As you're describing that Diwali ceremony, you know, I'm hearing in your voice an almost concern that 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 era, that spirit, that that camaraderie, that shoulder to shoulder embrace and acknowledgement of each's dignity and different traditions, that that is at risk now. The headlines are very different these days from India. Very different, very different indeed. And that's all the more reason to acknowledge that this world not only once existed, but can certainly exist today, not exist someday in the future. But if we if we choose it, it's just a matter of choice. You know, we, every culture, every civilization, including our own in the United States right now, I feel like we are at a crossroads here. And Indian society certainly seems to be at a crossroads also. You know, are we going to adopt the secular humanism of India's uh, founding fathers, you know, Gandhi, Nehru, all of them, right, that believed in this sort of multicultural, diverse, celebratory society? Or are we going to go for a more narrowly defined, punitive, right-wing, fundamentalist society? Um, Societies are always given those options. And I guess what the leadership chooses and then what the majority of people follow is what makes these determinations. And I'm very concerned. I mean, there seems to be some awful anti-Muslim backlash, very much sanctioned by the state that's happening in India right now. And it would be such a crying shame to lose what has not just recently, but really for thousands. I mean, the genius Mm. of India was, was its capacity to absorb multiple different cultures and and make them quote unquote Indian. And there was never a prescription that there was just one way of being Indian, much as 
there shouldn't be just one way of being American. As somebody who really has lived in two of the world's largest democracies at different points, I'm struck by how similar our pasts have been and how, in some ways, frightening our present and futures could be. I appreciate you reflecting at that intersection when you have lived in different parts of the world and immerse yourself in those cultures and understand the history. Sometimes you see parallels, you see these trends emerging that others may not recognize as similar because on their surface, they may feel different. And right. that's that's where the power of stories come in, at least for me. In Binny's The Volley in particular, what struck me is that through the eyes of a child of what it's like to go in and try to explain and celebrate something that may not be familiar to others. And I'm wondering if you feel like we have enough of those stories right now, especially as you're describing this crux that we're at, this intersection in so many countries where we're having to ask bigger questions about who we are. I guess my rather glib answer is no, we don't, because there's never enough Mm. of those kinds of stories. The world can always use and absorb more of those stories. I mean, children desperately need them, but I would suggest that perhaps as adults, we need them every bit as much also. We sometimes need to be reminded these fundamental truths. The story that I alluded to in Sugar and Milk, it's an old Persian Indian legend that I have sort of revived and modernized. This young girl who moves to what we imagine is New York City to live with her aunt and uncle, and she's terribly homesick. And her aunt takes her for a walk one day and tells her this story about being at home in a new culture. The fundamental truth of that story is about how to sweeten the lives. You know, just as sugar and milk Mm. makes the milk sweeter, acts of kindness, acts of generosity sweeten the lives of the people around us. And then one day I woke up and I thought, (laughs) the people who really need to hear the story our kids. And that day I sat and wrote Sugar and Milk. Triti Umargar is an award-winning author and journalist. She's written the children's books Sugar and Milk and Binny's the Volley, a story about the festival of lights sacred to Hindus, Jains, and Sikhs around the world. On the eve of Diwali, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, representing the 8th District of Illinois, introduced a bipartisan bill with 15 co-sponsors seeking to enshrine Diwali as a federal holiday. According to the Pew Research Center, less than 1% of Americans identify as Hindu. But in recent decades, the Hindu-American community has sought to increase its political visibility and engagement in U.S. politics. In an upcoming episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the issues that bring folks together and those that divide, both here in the United States and in India. But first, we're going to shift our attention to another faith community exercising influence in our politics, American Catholics. We're going to take a closer look at the issues that emerged during President Biden's private October meeting with Pope Francis. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back after this short break. Hi. 
Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 